hello, and welcome back to the middle of culture. I'm one of your hosts, Peter. And I'm your other host, Eden. And today we are continuing the illustrious Summer of X that just keeps getting better and better and better, I'm sure. Everyone who's familiar with these movies will agree with that assessment. But before we jump into that, we do have a few things to talk about and just sort of a quick catch up. So Eden, how the heck you been doing? Uh, doing pretty okay, because guess what? The first episode of the TV show starring my all-time favorite superhero, The She-Hulk, was actually pretty okay. It was. It came out today. I watched it when I got home from work a little earlier because I wanted to make sure I had a chance to watch it. And uh, yeah, so we'll talk about that to kick things off. So go ahead. Tell us some of your thoughts about She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Uh... So here's the deal. Um, yes, the CGI, especially in, when the characters are moving quickly, extremely dodgy. But that's what we expect from Marvel projects. Their CG has never been very good, although it did used to be better. Well, and, and can I just say one thing about the CG part of it? And I think I read this, maybe it was on the in The Verge or something today. And as I watched the show, I, I kind of thought, you know what? It doesn't bother me because yeah. it feels like with the vibe of the show they're going for, it just kind of fits. Like it works yeah. for me actually. And, and I think the good thing about it is it gets close enough to the uncanny Valley that you kind of start to go eh, but it doesn't go deep enough in it that it really, re that you reject it. Like you notice it at first, but it's not so deep in the uncanny Valley that it continues to bother you. You just kind of go, Oh yeah, this is all CGI. Of course it is. And it's big green folks. Okay, cool. I'm I'm, I'm good. Let's go. A hundred percent. I definitely agree with that. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of fun. And like I, when it was announced, I was very, I was filled with trepidation because as I said, she Hulk is my number one, very favorite superhero. Um, I really love She-Hulk comics. Um, there's a lot of really great runs of She-Hulk comics that they could take a lot of inspiration from, and I can kind of see where that might be coming from in the future. And I really like Tatiana Maslany. I think that Orphan Black was one of the great achievements in sci-fi TV in the last decade. Um, and so, but I didn't feel like it was, like when she was cast, I was like, really? She's great, but as Jen? Walters? Um, but she works. It works really well. It's very good casting. Yeah. I didn't know anything about her. I hadn't seen her in anything, at least as far as I was aware. So I didn't have any thoughts or feelings one way or the other coming into it. And I look, I, we've said this before. There's a lot of things that I think Marvel does good or does well. And there's a few things that I, don't think they do super awesome and some places where they could tighten it up and they could do better, but Holy crap. When it comes to the casting, I, I think they have a better track record for casting than any, anything anywhere ever. I mean, and, and yeah, she was just another example of, okay, I didn't know anything about her. And by the end of the episode, I was 100% cool. Yeah. She's Jen Walters. And I think she's great. Yeah. I, uh, it's very good casting. I know I'm a little, uh, I'm a little colder on Mark Ruffalo's Hulk than I think a lot of people are. I don't really care for him as the Hulk very much, but he was fine. But importantly, 
Tatiana Maslany was great. And uh, for those of you who maybe watch this and think to themselves, hey, she was good. What else has she been in? Orphan Black is right there and waiting for you, friends. Orphan Black is extremely good. Um, She plays a series of clones, so you get to see her be very many very different characters playing often off of herself and that is where you'll be like oh i can see why they cast her because she can do the sort of things that other actors might not be able to because of course she can thrive in a cg environment she was literally acting against herself for the better part of the orphan black run there would be scenes where she was playing five different characters in one scene together and it worked wow She's very talented. Very cool. But yeah, I I, I thought it was really fun. Um, When the action isn't happening, I think the CG even looks great. Like when it's just her talking, it's like, oh, that's good CG. They did a really good job creating the She-Hulk character. She looks like Shulky. Um, And I'm very excited to see where it goes in the future. Uh, We've already had some great fourth wall cutaways because before Deadpool did it, She-Hulk was doing it. She's yep. the OG Marvel superhero who was turning to the camera and saying, stop looking at my boobs. Uh, I love She-Hulk. And, you know, I appreciated, there was a lot of speculation, at least that I was hearing in, you know, podcasts and online and such about the fourth wall breaking. Because in one of the trailers, we get that little moment where uh, it's after they're, you know, fixing up the bar that has been broken for reasons. And I know there was a lot of people who were kind of thinking, well, but is that really going to be fourth wall breaking or did they just, you know, is that something they just did for the trailer? Because Marvel has a track record of having things in trailers that don't end up in the final product. And they do. I actually really appreciated that it was right at the beginning. I mean, we get this quick little introductory scene and then it like, then the very next thing she does is she just turns to the camera and there's a like, okay, look, yeah, you're not going to pay any attention to the rest of this story until we get this part out of the way. So here we go. And I thought that was a very clever way to sort of set up her origin and get the kind of get that first episode kicked off and up to speed. I, I, I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, I just, I think she's a great character. I'm really excited to see how they deal with, the fact that she can kind of just change at will and the ways in which she uses that both in and outside of the courtroom. Uh, I'm really excited to see how they play with that. I really get a lot of vibes for those of you who don't know or who maybe know the She-Hulk comics or who are interested in saying, okay, I found this entertaining. If I want to go read some She-Hulk comics, where should I start? Dan Slott's run specifically had a very similar tone to what we've seen in the show so far. So I really would recommend that. Do I wish that her uh, paralegal and uh, um, uh, secretary was Andy the Paranoid Android like it is in the comics? Yes, but I also (laughs) understand why they don't have a 12-foot-tall android whose face is a piece of concrete uh, in the show. And instead they have her very, very cool, very cool-seeming paralegal. Maybe we'll get a nod to Andy, the paranoid Android. One can only hope. But uh, yeah, go read Dan Slott's She-Hulk comics if you're interested in some She-Hulk stuff. It's very good. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I'll say that I really appreciated, and 
again, I am fully aware of the criticisms and I think that there's a lot of validity to them that Marvel and of course behind them, Disney maybe don't push things as far as they could or take things as far as they could. But at the same time, I guess maybe I'm the apologist who says, yeah, but they're like the biggest entertainment company in the world and their number one goal is to make lots of money. So we got to understand that's where we're coming from. And I like the fact that Jen really makes a point to Bruce. Hey, look, the reason I can control this and I'm okay with this all is because women, we have to put up with so much BS and abusive behavior and awful behavior all the time from everybody everywhere, especially men in society, that we're just kind of used to dealing with this degree of anger and rage and everything all the time. So I already know how to control it. I don't need mm -hmm. 15 years of you know a 42-step program to figure out how to control my rage. That's life as a woman in this society. And I liked that they kind of that they went there and they said, yeah, this is part of who she is. The fact that, yeah, she's had to put up with being as a lawyer, marginalized, talked over, talked down to, ignored, and all these kinds of things because she's a woman. And that, you know, that I, I think rightfully carries with it a certain degree of of constant simmering anger and rage as it should. And, you know, I thought that was a, I really liked that that was kind of the angle they used to put, to work in how come she can immediately control this where he could not. Agreed. Yeah. Anyway, I, I was really entertained. I'm very excited to see more episodes of it. Uh, I was, again, very trepidatious, but the first episode has got me really excited about it. And and just one thing I'll say to anybody who wants to watch it who hasn't, make sure you stay through the first part of the credits because For sure. there is a mid-credit scene that is great. That made me not... literally laugh out loud. I literally oh, LMAO'd. Yeah. Oh, I totally did as well. And I loved the fact that it wasn't necessarily – important in terms of what's happening in the rest of the show. And it wasn't like WandaVision where we were seeing little things and trying to decipher how are these going to play into the bigger story? No, it was just funny. It was a callback to something earlier in the episode and it was really damn funny. And I thought it was great. So yeah, make sure you catch agreed. That. Very, very good. All right. Well, on to our second little subtopic. And this is one that's been bouncing around in my head for a couple of weeks now. I wanted to make sure that uh, Eden and I could talk about it. And that is just sort of some thoughts and, uh, you know, maybe our commentary or observations on the absolute dumpster fire that uh, Warner Brothers Discovery and the DC properties have become. You know, they, they've been that way for a while, but really it seems like in the last month or so, the the wheels are just falling off this train. Yeah. So I'll do a real quick kind of recap of where things stand, uh, maybe if I can do it and remember. Long story short, Warner Brothers uh, owns DC Comics and has bounced around from a number of different owners and uh, has been part of different companies in the past. You know, there was AOL Time Warner, and then a few years ago, AT&T bought that whole conglomerate including HBO and, and all the Warner properties. And then recently AT&T spun that off and sold that and merged that with Discovery. And so we've got Warner Brothers Discovery now. And they had a new, you know, the CEO of Discovery who really kind of has made his, um, uh, his mark on Discovery by kind of perfecting the cheap, 
easy to produce, stupid and often trashy reality TV that tends to be all over many cable channels these days, mm-hmm. but that draws eyes and again is incredibly cheap to produce compared to much other media. Now you've got him in charge of things like the DC comics universe and HBO and all these things that really have sort of prided themselves at least on being, you know, much more scripted, much more big picture and interconnected and all this kind of stuff. There was an investor meeting and one of the slides is the greatest. And I don't know if you saw this or if you heard about this. Oh, you mean the extremely sexist slide that like HBO's for dudes because dudes (laughs) like to watch serious scripted shows. Discovery Plus is for women who just want to watch Magnolia shows with what's her name uh, who has the products at Target. Joanna Gaines. Yeah, that's that's exactly garbage. Well, and also my other favorite part of that slide deck was when they referred to the 90 day fiance connected universe. (laughs) Yeah. The connected universe of the 90 day fiance. How do you, how do you, how how can you defeat that? You cannot. (laughs) Anyway, what really kind of, came to a head with this, I think, was when a couple of weeks ago, David Zaslav just decided that the movie Batgirl that was, I believe, intended to go direct to streaming. It was. Was pretty much done filming. $77 million had been spent on this. It had, you know, well-known actors. It had people from other DC properties. Michael Keaton was apparently in some way going to be reprising his role as Batman. And that somehow ties into something that's supposed to be happening in the flash movie, but that's going to come out later. So again, that that's all confused, but I mean, I think you had, um, Oh my gosh, why am I blinking on his name? It's, uh, he was coming back as commissioner Gordon and he's J Jonah Jameson. And I just, um, completely JK Simmons. There we go. He was, he was commissioner Gordon. He was commissioner Gordon in some property. Oh, I mean, that's at least what I had heard. Get your cheddar JK Simmons, but you just keep taking these mediocre roles for oh, oh wait he he was cranky people yes so he he's commissioner gordon in batman v superman and justice league oh sure why not yeah yeah so i had to think about the different people who've been jk simmons but so and then again we've we've got the whole thing going on with the flash which for the last number of months dc has been talking up that that flash and because of his abilities and some storylines within the comics, basically the flash movie was going to give them an opportunity to do sort of a multiverse type thing where it would allow them to reset the DC extended universe or the DCU, whatever. But part of the problem is that is that the lead actor in that Ezra Miller has kind of gone crazy and there being, I think I think there are warrants out for their arrest in a few different states, and there's mm-hmm. weird stories of, you know, kind of sex cult and cabals and stuff that they're setting up and all sorts of crazy stuff. And DC's still like, that's okay, that's okay. That that movie, that's the next one that's coming out. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. <laughs> and, yeah. And 
So what is going on over there, Eden? Tell me, please help me make sense of it. This is, this has been a failed project from the start, in my humble opinion, because you can't look at, you, you can't immediately try to replicate the success of the MCU. You need to do so thoughtfully and, uh, and intentionally. And while I think that some people would say that Zack Snyder can do those things. I don't know that that's true, that he can be thoughtful and intentional. I think he's a bad director. And so building the first parts of your extended universe on Zack Snyder's properties was probably a mistake. Um, and then it's just been a mess since because they haven't, they have flailed and flailed and flailed and put out some okay movies in the meantime. I really like the first Wonder Woman film. I enjoyed Shazam. I thought it was pretty entertaining. Um, yeah, I agree. But there's also been a lot of garbage. Like, I I have some friends who are big BVS defenders, and I in regret to inform them they are wrong. Uh, it's a bad <laughs> I movie. I agree with you. It is um, Man of movie. Steel is a terrible movie. I think Henry Cavill is great casting as Superman, who has been done absolutely dirty by the films that he's been in. He has. He has, because I... I I have such a deep love of Superman. And when man of steel started, there were glimpses of it that I was like, Oh, this is going to be great because I felt like he was a good fit for it. But yeah, that's not a good movie either. It's the best of those three that Snyder made. And that's a tragedy uh, because it's not good. And I just, it breaks my heart because I'm a Marvel kid. We've talked about it before. We're both Marvel people, but like, I like Superman when Superman's done well. Yeah. I can read Superman Birthright or All-Star Superman or uh, like right now, like uh, Superman for all seasons. That's one of the greatest comics ever made. Like, are you get out of town. Superman can be so warm and so kind and so good. And that is what Superman can be. And that's not what you see in the DCEU. And like, how do you, and, and you know, you see those, those, Articles come out that are like, you know, lots of speculation. What are they going to do? How can they get people interested in Superman? You watch 1978's Richard Donner's Superman, and then you say, how can I just recreate, essentially, what was so good in that first Superman movie? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, See, this is the problem with the whole DC universe. Their two best movies came out in 1966 and 1978, and they haven't made as good a movie since. <laughs> yes, and that's Batman 66 and Superman from 1978. So the two best DC movies ever made. I'm sorry, but it's true. Well, and, you know, then part of the problem, too, is because they did talk at this Warner Brothers Discovery meeting, there was talk about a 10-year plan for the DC universe, the DCEU. And I think everybody who I listened to who saw that and heard that kind of sat there scratching their heads and going, well, you've totally bungled it the last 10 years. Uh huh. Why do we trust what you're going to do for the next 10? Because if you look at it right now, we have multiple disparate universes within the DC properties. 
because you've got kind of the big thing that most people think about, which is the Wonder Woman, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Justice League, Aquaman. The Snyderverse, if you will. And technically, Shazam fits into that. And we've got a sequel to Shazam coming out. And we've got Black Adam coming out, which are in that branch. And again, even though those two are kind of only loosely, they're like leaves dangling from that branch. But technically, they're part of that branch. And we have Flash that they're working on, which again, they say is part of that and is somehow going to reset that or something for them. And I'm pretty sure an Aquaman sequel is still being worked on. I think that's that, mostly been filmed at this point. Correct. And cause there was the whole controversy about Amber Heard and her role in it. So, so we've got that going on, but then you've got the Batman and we know they've announced a sequel to the Batman and that's a different universe that is not connected to this. These are different. These are different Bruce Wayne's. These are different Batman's. Then you've got like Suicide Squad, The Suicide Squad, and Peacemaker, which I have not seen any of them, but I think they're kind of sort of loosely connected to this Snyderverse I, branch. No, they are They are in the Snyderverse. Uh, half the Justice League shows up in Peacemaker. Okay. Aquaman, uh, Aquaman Cyborg, and The Flash literally all show up in the Peacemaker show. See, I haven't even seen it. because I, I haven't either because I don't care. Yeah, that's Here's, the problem. It, Here's the thing, and this is my advice. I give it to you free. That's not true. If you take this advice, uh, Warner Brothers, and you heard this from me, $10 million, please. Uh, Good call. This, call. The solution is don't make an interconnected universe. Just don't. Yes. Just don't try to replicate what the MCU is doing because everything is trying to do that and everything is failing at it. Remember the dark universe, Peter? <laughs> do you remember, remember how supposed to be the one. mummy and apparently retroactively dracula untold were going to kick off the entire dark universe and they're like today is the dawn of a dark universe and then nothing ever came out again like stop trying to replicate what marvel has done because you can do so many other things not everything has to be interconnected i am fine with having the joker movie be the bad ripoff of Scorsese movies happening in the seventies. That's not connected to the Batman movie with our Pats in it. That's not connected to the Batgirl movie that has Michael Keaton. I'm fine with that. That's great. Let people get weird with these weird, with like side properties, like, or the other thing that I've heard is that they want like, they're bringing in the rock to be like the head of this 10 year plan. And it's like, the rock is the only person on the planet who has ever given a shit about black Adam. So I do not (laughs) think that you can build an entire 10 year plan around freaking black Adam because nobody gives a shit about black Adam. (laughs) He was, I I have to agree with you there. (laughs) He was in like, he was important in like one series ever. And it's because everyone else was dead in 52. Who cares about (laughs) freaking black Adam? So like the whole idea of like putting it under the rocks tutelage and having black Adam be the linchpin. It's like, at least there was comics precedent for Thanos to be that linchpin, even if the general public didn't know who he was. It ain't nothing like that for Black Adam. Who cares? Yeah. Mean Shazam. 
Why do I care? You know, it like you, it makes me sad because they've got interesting characters and interesting properties and things could be done. And I agree completely. I think they would have so much more success if they completely jettisoned the idea of a connected universe and just make movies around characters and they don't well, need and to I be think... connected and they don't need to link to each other. And it seems like the times when they have done that, they have been much more successful. I was just going to say that's why the Batman worked. I, I know you, I don't know if you liked it as much as I did. I, I still loved... haven't seen it because I can't, I can't, I can't yet sacrifice three hours to that. Oh, I love that movie. It's my second favorite Batman movie after Batman 66. I think it is ridiculous. I think that it is overly long. It is too busy, but I think that the casting is great. And I think that it gets campy in ways that maybe they didn't even intend it to get, but I love that it gets so campy. And I thought that it was the, it was the most fun I've had watching a DC movie in a very long time. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've heard a lot of that. Because I knew it wasn't connected to anything. It was our Pats in his cool, the coolest Batman suit I've ever seen in his stupid car that's not a tank finally. And like, it's clearly like a young, ba- he's supposed to be 26 in that movie, which like, our Pats, you're not 26, but like, whatever. <laughs> it, it I'm worked. pretty sure he was 26 when he was playing teenage Cedric Diggory way back in the Harry that's Potter. That's true. <laughs> Regardless, I really like the Batman and I think it's worth giving your three hours to at some point. Um, and so I think they should just do more of that. And I hope that someone who is lower than Zasloff says, yo dog, the Batman worked really well. People loved that movie. Even in the days of COVID people went to see that movie in the theater. Let's do more of this weird stuff. Let's just let, let a director who has a vision set him loose. And, and this is where, this is the thing that I've thought a lot about and is, I think, connected to the things that we're talking about, but is maybe a little bit bigger concept. Let B-movies live, guys. Yes. Not Give everything me, has to be a AAA blockbuster. I don't need a $200 million movie. Give me more $50 million movies. That's what I want. Those are my favorite kind of superhero movies because usually they do weird things because they have to compensate for the fact that they do not have hundreds of millions of dollars they can throw at this project. So like yeah. someone has a weird idea, throw them 30 million and say, oh, go to it. Go to, you know, I've heard that's the way Birds of Prey was. I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I've heard Birds of Prey largely worked because it was like. We're just going to do a weird thing with a smallish budget, like a medium-sized budget, and just let a weird director do a weird thing that she wants to do with a star who's really passionate about the character. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. The the We've said before that I think it, you know, Kevin Feige is, uh, has a unique talent, it would appear, in his ability to help interconnect all these things and make the MCU what it is. And because from the outside, it looked relatively easy. You know, it was like even the bad movies were making hundreds of millions of dollars and stuff. I think everybody else was just like, well, we got to get us some of that without understanding that number one, no, you don't. And number two, you probably can't. So stop trying to do that and go, where have we had success? And let's do that. 
Let's double down on, like you said, the interesting, the weird, the not huge, amazing blockbuster tentpole, um, you know, multi-million, you know, multi-hundreds of millions of dollar budget things. Let's make things that allow interesting stories to be told for the sake of themselves instead of, well, we're telling this story so that it connects to the next thing. Yep. Just let movies be movies again. Yeah. And that's where I honestly feel like the Marvel movies that are the best in many cases are the ones where they really are focused on the story of the characters right there in front of you and less concerned about how does this play into everything else? And I think that that just kind of goes to show that, you know, maybe that's a good way to go about it, but I don't know. It frustrates me because I like a lot of DC's properties. Uh, I never got into them as much as Marvel. And we've talked about that before, but that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy them. And it doesn't mean that I wouldn't really like to see well-told interesting stories with good characters. And we're just not getting that. And in the, in the quantity that I think we could, if they would give up on this foolish plan of trying to still, we've got to interconnect and we've got to have this big connected universe thing. Just tell your stories, tell your stories with the characters you've got, make them entertaining. And I just think it would be so much more enjoyable. Just, Take the best scenes from All-Star Superman and make that movie. It's right there. Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely already did it. You don't even have to look far. No, it's literally right there. Take out some of the weirder parts. Take out the subplot about where Lois Lane gets Superman powers for a day. Because it's a great story, but it would make for an overlong movie. But, like, I don't know how familiar you are with that comic. But, like, the scene where Superman saves a girl who's about to jump off the top of a building to try to die by suicide is so tender and so quiet in the way that he just appears next to her and then talks to her and helps her find a reason to keep living is like, that's who Superman could be. How do you, how do you make him, the guy who's snapping Zod's neck and destroying the entirety of Metropolis when he could be the guy who stands next to the person who's trying to decide whether they want to live or die and says, let's talk about it. Let's find out what you have to live for and like find a way together to, to make you want to live again. Yeah. And, and the, Oh, this is just going to get this out of my system. Having seen him in interviews and in some other things that he's been in, Henry Cavill could perfectly do that, I think. Cavill could do it so well. He could well. do so well because when he's not putting on, I mean, even, okay, even when he is, there are moments in the Witcher series where he is this gruff, mutant, crazy Witcher dude, but he but still Geralt has, these has moments those moments of, of kindness. Of kindness and where he can just, he exudes this this care for, you know, Siri or for Yennefer or, you know, these characters. And so we know he can pull it off. He would do it so well. And they totally, totally screwed that up with him. And it was such good casting and it was just wasted. 
yeah. just absolutely it, has been wasted. It has. So, well. But speaking of things that were wasted. <laughs> that, thank you. That was going to be exactly the same segue I was going to go with. So, uh, <laughs> listeners, you may remember a number of weeks ago, we watched uh, X-Men 3, The Last Stand. And at the end of that, we talked about how it was a mess and that we were hoping that our next movie in the summer of X, X-Men Origins Wolverine, which we both watched in recent history, we were hoping that perhaps it would be bad enough to be enjoyably bad. And I want to hear what your, just give me your gut thought about, did it meet that or did it not meet that for you? So when we watched Last Last Stand, we said there are three ways a movie can be bad. It's bad and it's boring, which is what Last Stand was. So bad it's good, which is, you know, there are movies that are like that where you're like, this movie is so terrible that I've come around to really enjoying it. Because I'm laughing because it is now entertaining and how bad it is. Yes. And then there's the third where a movie is so bad, it's horrible. And that irredeemable. That, my friends, my listeners, is where we find X-Men Origins Wolverine. (laughs) It is so bad. It is so bad. It is horrible. There is nothing there. There are absolutely zero redeeming qualities to this. Because I will even go so far as to say that I don't think Hugh Jackman is good in this movie. At all. No. At all. No one is good in this movie. No, (laughs) this, uh, I gotta tell you, I remembered that this movie was bad. I did too, but not this bad. I did not remember how truly horrifyingly awful this movie was until I watched it last night with my son and we both just kept turning to each other. We, we would pause the movie to rant about what we had just seen because it was so but, but not in the funny way, not in an, oh my gosh, ha ha, can you believe that happened? But in an, oh my gosh, how did they screw that pooch so bad? Oh my God, it's so bad. <laughs> it's I'm so, so glad bad. you felt the same way. I, I, oh my, I my just, notes uh, are longer than they've been for any of the movies we've watched because I keep saying over and over, this sucks, this sucks, this effing sucks, this is so bad, what the hell, this sucks. Just dire, <laughs> just dire. I wrote that twice. Just dire. So, so that's how I felt about and, this film. And, and conversely, my notes are the shortest they have been for any movie we, we watched because I got to half a page and I wrote something. I, I wrote, if I am supposed to care about any of these characters, and then in all caps, I don't. And I put my <laughs> notebook down and I stopped writing notes. And I was like, I'm not even going to bother to do a plot synopsis. Don't even care. Don't care. Here, Here's the I'll do, I'll, I'll do our plot, do synopsis plot synopsis real quick. I'll do it's it real easy. quick. Uh, Wolverine and Sabretooth are earlier than the American Civil War brothers, thanks to Infidelity, who are both mutants, and then they fight in a lot of wars until they get recruited by Black Ops, do some shady crap. Uh, Wolverine decides to not be shady anymore, so he goes and finds a lady friend who we will get to see fridged not once but twice 
Uh, and, and then things go bad. Sabretooth tries to get him to come back by killing his girlfriend, and then he becomes adamantized. And then instead of that being what causes him to lose his memory, which is what was very heavily implied in X2, uh, he then goes on like a murder spree trying to kill all of the guys who were on his mercenary squad. And then you find out that his girlfriend was actually a mutant who has sexy touch powers. Psych. Um, what was it? Tacky hypnosis. Tactile. Yeah. Tactile hypnosis. Yes, but they, they actually tried to make, because I had I made, I made had the captions on for a few reasons. And one of those is, I'm old, and it's not that I have bad hearing, because I still have surprisingly good hearing for my age and the number of very loud heavy metal concerts I have been to, because I use earplugs, because I'm, I'm not stupid. But I still like to have captions on, because I like to make sure I'm catching all the little bits of dialogue that often get lost with the loud noises in movies. They created a word that they thought would sound cool and they called it <laughs> tacky hypnosis. Now that is tacky dear listeners, dear listeners, T A C H Y for any of you who are listening, please know that the prefix tacky T A C H Y is a prefix. It is used regularly in medicine. I do not recall if it is Greek or Latin in origin because medical worlds, words steal from both, from both Greek and Latin. However, what it means is fast. So if you have a rapid heart rate, then you have tachycardia. Tachycardia. If you are breathing quickly, then you have tachypnea. And so in trying to be clever, they invented this word tachyhypnosis, meaning that she touches people. And really what they did is she just has really fast hypnosis. Well, there you go. I, uh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> oh and in the midst of all this, let's get to the most incomprehensible, well, I don't know. I was going to well, say the okay. most incomprehensible so, part, turns but, out, but it's turns all out incomprehensible. She's, yeah. Turns out she's still alive. Um, also, Deadpool is there. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. Stryker, who was the leader of their Black Ops task force, oh, God. has been sending Sabretooth to kill and get DNA samples from all the mutants so that he can use those to create the ultimate mutant killer that will have all of their mutations. And that ultimate mutant killer is, as he refers to it the first time he says it, the pool. And then the second time says the name Deadpool. But the first time calls him the pool. <laughs> <laughs> I shit you not. <laughs> Somebody wrote this thing <laughs> and then people got paid to make it. Oh, do you know who wrote it? I don't. I didn't even pay attention. Who wrote it? One of the guys who then went on to make Game of Thrones. Oh, man. Well, having never seen Game of Thrones, I can only assume based on its popularity that he leveled up or he got somebody who was better than him to help him as well. I can only imagine because this, this is, is so just bad. trash. It's so bad. There's I mean, a big fight. I forgot to wrap up. There's a big fight between the Deadpool, which this is not dead. Listener, this is not Deadpool. They blew it. 
And uh, there's a fight on top of the nuclear uh, smokestacks on Three Mile Island. Because why wouldn't they do it at Three Mile Island? Uh, <laughs> and then Sabretooth. Hiding and... in plain sight, as Gambit says. Oh, yeah. Gambit's in this movie. Ruined. <laughs> Terrible. I, Gambit. I, I did not remember at all that Gambit was in this movie. Me and neither. He ended up being in the movie for a lot longer than I thought he was going to be. I, yeah. You want to talk about a guy who was done dirty by basically every movie he was in? Taylor Kitsch. Oh my gosh, yes. Because isn't he, remind me, John Carter, baby. John Carter of Mars. He is John Carter of Mars in the movie John Carter. Interestingly, of which, Kayla, Wolverine's girlfriend in this movie, is also in John Carter of Mars. She is that actor, plays Dejah Thoris. Oh. Oh, well, there you go. I've never seen John Carter because I don't care. I had better (laughs) things to do with my life. I watched it Um, for free once on a, it was a Christmas Eve and the kids were in bed and Lissa was singing midnight mass somewhere. uh, And I had nothing better to do. So I watched John Carter of Mars. Sounds fun. I don't remember anything about it. It was bad. So they fight, uh, she gets fridged, his girlfriend gets fridged after being like, no, it was actual, real, actual love. I didn't use my tacky hypnosis on you. I used real love hypnosis on you. <laughs> also, also the, lo- the like love story between the moon and the wolf that I'm going to tell you will instead be between the moon and a Wolverine. Because Wolverines famously, you know, tiny mean not wolf-like at all despite its name definitely howl at the moon they definitely howl at their long lost lover the moon (laughs) of course they do oh (laughs) anyway she dies she gets murdered she gets murdered by striker uh no i guess she doesn't get murdered by striker she just dies from you know fighting and she gets she she gets hit by a bullet when she and uh when wolverine and her breaking all the kids out yeah when they're breaking all the trap mutants out she gets hit by kind of a stray bullet from these guys who are up in the windows right before diamond skin lady uh, you know you points cyclops's head at the the guys in the window and blows them <sighs> remember how they did my favorite mutant so dirty in this movie that's supposed to be Emma Frost, dog. I know. I know. But I didn't want to say it because she's not. I mean, in in four weeks when the next one of these comes out, we will also see my favorite mutant, Emma Frost, be done extremely dirty. <laughs> so. Yes. yes, we will. But at the very least, that version of Emma Frost. Uh, okay. So. Never mind. We're going to get to this when we just talk about all the things that drove us crazy. So I'll let you finish our in he detail gets, synopsis. He gets here. got. He, he gets got. He gets got. He gets shot in the head with adamantium bullets, which is what makes him lose his memories. So then he wakes up after healing, and Gambit's like, "We got to get off the island because the cops are coming." And he's like, "Who are you?" And he's like, "I'm Gambit." And he's like, "Who am I?" And he's like, "Your name's Logan." And then he like runs off. Uh huh. Just and that's it. Wretched. Just wretched. <laughs> oh, the kids escape. Um, and Professor X finds them. Oh, in- 
Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay, so listener, let me let's let's think about the last oh my god 20 plus years of CGI. Okay. Let's go back to even the late 90s, the early 90s, the mid let, let's think Jurassic Park, maybe Star Wars episode one. Let's think about some of the earlier X-Men movies in the early, you know, 2000, 2002, stuff like that. And there's been dodgy CGI in many of those things. I have I don't never know off the top seen of my head if Jurassic Park has dodgy CGI. Maybe that's It does not. It's impeccable. It. Every every frame of picture. But but there there's been some dodgy CGI, but it's always in these really, really elaborate uh, you know, set pieces where it's just we are doing something that is so fantastical that it couldn't be done without with practical CGI. effects. Yeah. It just you, so that's where the CGI really gets dodgy, right? Uh-huh. The this is a group no. of children running towards a helicopter. Yeah, that's it. In a forest. Somewhere, somehow they made it to a rich, green, lush forest on Three Mile Island. But anyway, <laughs> it's a green forest with a helicopter in the middle. And a group I, I, and of people talked- in orange, like orange jail type jumpsuits running towards this and it looks worse than the worst CGI I recall having seen in anything in the second half of my adult life. It looks worse than TV shows that were doing CGI. Look, I am a big fan of Babylon five, but I will be the first person to tell you that the, the effects in Babylon five are dodgy as hell, because that's what happens when you have a budget of two quarters and you try to make an elaborate, you know, space show with a budget of two quarters. That was worse than any effect in the bargain basement that Babylon five got their effects from. It was the worst effect I have memory of seeing. It was as well for me. And again, this is where my 12 year old who look, not all the time, but you know, when we're younger, we perhaps are a little less discerning and we have <laughs> lower standards. I know I did. And he turns to me and he just starts laughing and he's like, dad, that looks awful. And I'm yeah. like, and, and look, okay. We talked about the de-aging in X-Men three and, and how it, was it fine. actually looked pretty good. Not we here. have again a de-aged version of Charles Xavier, and it looks like they de-aged him with Vaseline and talcum powder. <laughs> like they just smeared Vaseline mixed with talcum powder on his face until it was smooth. Yeah. It looks so much worse than it did in the previous movie that was made earlier than this. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the pool. Let's talk about Deadpool. Okay. So Deadpool or Wade Wilson, as we first meet him, he's one of the members of the black ops team and they're flying in this plane to go to where their mission is that basically long and short of it is striker wants more adamantium. So he's going to go raid some crime boss's place where they're doing a bunch of, they're shipping up a bunch of diamonds or something. And he just wants to know where this dude got this piece of adamantium from. And they, they, oh, there's real dodgy CGI before then with lots of the characters. (laughs) And then they get into the elevator 
And as the elevator opens, somebody says to Wade Wilson, now it's your turn or, you know, it's time for you to do whatever. And he goes out and while about 25 to 30 people fire at him with fully automatic weapons, he is spinning two katanas and he is lightsaber blocking every single bullet coming his way. And in fact, he even cuts one of them in half so that the two halves go beside him and kill the two guys behind him. As you it do. is, it, it, I just can't even put into words how bad it looks as he's walking down this hall and his two arms just have these little blur on the ends of these blades, just spinning around and just like sparks flying off him. And he's just like, there's a whole thing before where he talks about the katanas and how he likes them and they're personal and blah, blah, blah. In the airplane flight, this was when I hadn't given up all hope and I was still taking notes. (laughs) I wrote down... Something to the effect of how did they make Ryan Reynolds so incredibly uncharismatic and detestable to watch? It's, it's a miracle that Ryan Reynolds was ever cast in anything again after this movie. (laughs) Yes, it was because he is so Especially Bad. as the same character, especially to come back five years later and be like, yo, you want another go at this dude? Oh. And to be fair, they give him another go and it's actually quite entertaining. But like, what is going on here? Also, what what are Wade Wilson's powers supposed to be in this film? Because those are not his powers. I don't know. The only thing he, I could get from the scene is that he likes swords and he can spin them really fast. Because in the comics, and I think this was true also of the Deadpool movies, he's got an accelerated healing factor. That's his primary yes. power is that his healing factor is even stronger and even wilder than uh, than Wolverine's. But also, oops, he got it when he was an adult while he was dying of cancer. So part of it is his body is constantly regenerating his cancer cells. So constantly in a state of healing and killing him literally all the time. So that is what his powers are. So. And that setup kind of makes you understand why he's lost his mind in certain ways and is crazy. Sure. Exactly. That's why he is the second. He, that's why he is the most well-known fourth wall breaking character is because the fact that he has dealt with so much mental trauma, he has recognized that he is a fictional character. He interacts in the comics. He often interacts with his uh, like narration bubbles. Yeah. Which entertaining. I don't care for Deadpool, but I think that some of those Deadpool comics are funny. But like, what did you What? How did you do this? How did you do this? And, then, and we've got we've got Blob, who is extremely offensive. Like, let's just get it out there. Blob's in this movie. It's gross. It's terrible. It's super fat phobic. I don't oh, even know. So bad. Like, so bad. Who was Will I Am supposed to be? I've never. I don't know this black mutant with uh, teleporting abilities or something. Bamf powers. He has. He has a uh, uh, Nightcrawler's Bamf powers. Yeah. Humpst is this? Yeah. I um, just. Oh, but so then on top of this all, on top of this all, he is the template upon which they build weapon 11, which is supposed to be strikers. Perfect. 
uh, soldier. So they remove But specifically his, to kill mutants. Yes. They remove his mouth and his uh, eyelids. How eyes don't work if you don't have eyelids very well because they get too dry. No, the, yeah, his eyes are just like constantly torn open all the time. Um, and then he has instead of having three uh, metal blades come out of his hand, he have one long katana that I don't know how that fits in there because it's much longer than a forearm. Again, the 12 year old was pointing out the lapses in logic when he just turns to me and he says, uh, dad, those swords are longer than his arm. How does he bend his elbow? <laughs> I'm saying <laughs> maybe they fold, but that was never, uh, that was never uh, established in the film. Um, also, but now he has wow. jumpy powers and healing powers and he gets Cyclops shooty eye powers, which is what makes him get like. Oh, Bernie eyeballs around his eyes. so that he looks more like Deadpool before he gets decapitated. Uh, and uh, you know, here's the thing. I can see how like a four year old boy, if you were like, dude, this guy's got three claws that come out of his hands and they're like knives. And the three year old, uh, the four year old would be like, cool. And then if you were like, and this other guy, He's got a full sword that comes out of his hands. And the four-year-old will be like, what? That is so cool. And then we'll have but another reality, dude who has five, five fingernails that are strong enough to rip through the hood of a car. Those are some really, that's, that is some serious keratin. Sabretooth has some serious keratin Yeah, it's powers. pretty wild. It's pretty wild. But here's the thing. Wolverine's claws Often, not in this movie ever, not once, because they only look bad in this movie. But often, do. it looks cool. It looks cool. No, they look. They're the. It's the again. It's some of the worst CGI. That scene where he is in the bathroom, it, bathroom the with the old folks. Mm -hmm. Those were the worst I've ever seen. His claws. They yes. looked so fake and so floaty and not actually attached to his hands. And again, then somehow he uses six skinny blades to block eye beams oh yeah yeah no of course because you know if you turn the angle just right then the flat side of the blades is what's hitting the eye beams and then except that's not what he's doing it. at all i know i know i know <laughs> but here's the it's thing so bad the the three blades the three knife like blades mm. coming out of wolverine can look cool the big long katanas Sticking Not out cool. of Deadpool's hands never look cool. Not cool. It looks so dumb. Not cool. And and then there's this whole thing between Sabretooth and Wolverine. And, you know, you get this impression that Sabretooth has always been the one with more bloodlust and the one who's willing to just go too far. And Wolverine, you know, Logan has been the one who has helped hold him back, who has helped him, you know, stopped him when he was trying to go too far and stuff. And it sets up this big conflict between the two of them that then just doesn't get resolved. Yeah. They just decide like to just, be okay. And then they both leave at the end. Yeah. And let's talk about, let's talk about Sabretooth. Um, you know, I don't know what else I've ever seen Liv Schreiber in. He's so bad in this. 
He's so bad in this. I don't know if he's good in anything else that he's been in because I can't recall having seen it. But I don't, he is so I have never bad liked in him in movie. anything. He is so That's terribly not true. bad in this movie. That's not true. He is good in one thing and one thing only. He plays the kingpin in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh. Interesting. But that's also like 12 lines. But he does a good job. And it's, you know, yeah. No, he, he is, oh, he is so bad in this. And every time he starts running like a, a tiger or whatever and like leaping through the air, it just. Oh, oh God, it's so bad. Oh, it looked, yeah, it looks so bad. And then, oh, let's get back to Emma Frost, who is not ever really named Emma Frost in this, I don't think. It she just says, says, it says Emma. Sister. Uh, it does it say does, Emma. She okay, does say Emma right. when That's Emma right. gets out. So, like, we so at one, at, on. you know, at a couple times, she turns her skin to the diamonds. And it's so bad. It's so dodgy. Okay, so here's the thing. Everybody who's listening has seen diamonds. You've seen them. Whether they're round cut, they're marquee cut, they're square cut, they're whatever. You know, teardrop. You, you know, you've all seen diamonds with all their little facets and stuff. Dear listener, diamonds don't naturally come that way. No, they do not. Diamonds are crystals and you can cut them. And because they are crystalline and they have these planes of cleavage where they will cut on someone who is knowledgeable can use advantage can take advantage of those properties of a diamond to cut them to these pieces and these shapes that we have decided are aesthetically pleasing for some reason uh-huh. but they don't come that way yet when she turns her skin to diamond it looks like she is covered in thousands and thousands and thousands of little cut round <laughs> diamonds and like again what little I remember of First Class, which is the last of the main uh, X-Men movies I've seen. So everything past that's going to be a new, a new, whole new world for me. Uh, at least in that one, when she changes to Diamond, she's just one big piece of Diamond. She's yeah. not like suddenly like... It's like she turns into like the biblical version of an angel, but instead of eyes, it's all diamonds. And she should be like, be not afraid. Like, what are they doing here? Yeah, it just, it looked so wrong. It, oh, it just looked bad. The, okay. I, it's just, it, <laughs> it's such a bad movie. <laughs> it, it truly is. Like, I, I, <laughs> oh, so many different things. The one just, thing. The one thing I'll give it. Okay. Wolverine's hair looks great in the whole movie. <laughs> He's not, it's a bit longer. So it's a little more like windswept. He's not doing the terrible, like I'm imitating my, my mask. Like he does in the first few movies. And like he does in the comics, it's like more like it's 1974 and I am a troubadour like hair. Great. <laughs> Literally okay. nothing else about this movie works. But X-Men Origins Wolverine had good hair on good old Hugh Jackman. And only really him. I mean. Oh, everyone else looks like garbage. Yeah. Oh, man. It. The sexual politics of the film are gross. It's sexist. It's gross. It's racist. Uh, there's no redeeming things about this movie. No. No, there's not. And I'm, I, I feel bad that I made us watch it. I don't <laughs> because, because was, I've had a lot was, of fun talking about it. 
Yes, that is the only the only bright light. I mean, if we get back to it, this is just a bad, bad movie. It is. It was not enjoyable. Again, the only thing that got me through it was knowing that we were going to have a fun conversation because you did you watch it yesterday earlier in the day? I watched it yesterday evening, but I think you I had finished it just as you were like part we of the way through it. We were just starting it. We were about 20 minutes into it and I get this it was text about when from I finished Eden. it. I get this text from Eden that just is Peter dot 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 this movie. And instantly I knew it. I was like, "Oh, we are going to be on the same page. This is the worst yeah. thing I have seen, and I don't even remember how long. Oh, it really I am was. going to marshal on through, and I'm going to watch this whole thing so that Eden and I can talk about it. Because holy crap, this is so bad. You know who the real hero is here? <laughs> Who's that? Gareth. Gareth. I know. Braver than the troops. Just to watch it. Not getting the, you know, the, uh, the, the enjoyment of roasting it with anybody other than he and I have been constantly roasting it back and forth ever since we watched it. Just out of the blue. He'll just say something to me. He's like, and dad, why did they did this? What were they thinking? And I'm like, I don't know, son. I don't know. Braver than the troops. He, he really was. I was, I was honored to have him with me so that I wasn't watching it alone and that he and I could laugh at it and groan at it in anticipation of us laughing at it and groaning at it about it today. Because I, like I said at the beginning, listeners, I remembered it was a bad movie. I had absolutely no concept or memory of just how truly terrible this movie is. I will be fascinated to see if this is the worst or if we think some of the coming movies are actually worse than this one, because boy, this set the bar really, really low. It really did. (laughs) I think, however, here's the thing that I think is the weirdest part. It is not as reviled by critics as you would think. No, it's not. It has like a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is bad, but is like 37% higher than it deserves. Well, here's the thing that throws me. I was looking afterwards. I was like, I got to see what some of the critics said. So I pulled it up on Wikipedia. Roger Ebert gave this film two out of four stars. What? (laughs) Two out of four, (laughs) Roger. My guy. I think that he's one of the greatest uh, film critics to ever live. He was wrong on this one. (laughs) Bill Gibron. I'm looking at it right now. Bill Gibron of AMC's filmcritic.com website gave the film a positive 4.0 out of five stars, (laughs) saying that although Hugh Jackman is capable of carrying even the most mediocre effort, he single-handedly makes X-Men Origins Wolverine an excellent start to the summer 2009 season. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't understand. Tom Charity of CNN commented serviceable, Tom, serviceable, serviceable but inescapably redundant. <laughs> I, I, I got nothing. I have no words. I mean, I, they spent one hundred and fifty million dollars on this garbage heap. Wow. And I don't know how it didn't kill both the franchise and uh, Hugh Jackman's time with his character, and it blows 
my mind that I know that we have two more Wolverine movies coming up, one of which I remember thinking was pretty okay, and one of which I think is one of the best superhero movies. Is legitimately great. Yeah. How did this become that? I do not know. I do not know. I, I Here's the final thing I'll say. I bought this on iTunes years ago in a whole X-Men bundle. Oh, no. And I think I paid like 40 bucks for all of these X-Men movies, except Logan and uh, Dark Phoenix, I don't think were part of it. I do. Th- I think that it included up to Apocalypse at the time. So when I worked that out, I really only paid, because let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So yeah, I probably paid like maybe 50 bucks for seven movies. So it was less than $10. Uh-huh. I you was got ripped screwed. off. You got, got ripped, ripped off. off. I I, seriously and totally ripped off by paying $7.50 for this movie. I watched this on Hulu because it's streaming on Hulu. And I think Disney owes me my $8 for the month. back. (laughs) I think I should get a free month of Hulu because I just sat through this movie. I I think you should as well. We should start a petition and be like anybody who suffers through X-Men Origins Wolverine deserves a refund. (laughs) It's the only X-Men movie that's not on uh, Disney Plus. <laughs> Interesting. They're I like, legitimately, I pulled up Disney Plus. I, mo- I pulled up Disney Plus yesterday. And, you know, I, pull, I open my Xbox up. I pull up Disney Plus. I type in X-Men. And all of the X-Men movies come up. And I start, like, scrolling, 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 scrolling. And it's not there. So I, like, pull out my phone. Justwatch.com. I'm starting to think. Uh-huh. Oh shit! How am I going to watch this movie for tomorrow? <laughs> don't just Thankfully, remember it was on Hulu. Also, don't ever forget these are all on it was the Plex. On, probably on your. It was probably on your Plex. I probably would have been fine. I just get it installed Plex again. Yep. But uh, <laughs> I pull, I open it up and it's on Hulu and it's just like you have been relegated to the ghetto. Like <laughs> yeah, they're, all they're of the it. other they're- ones. All the other ones get to come to Disney Plus. All the other Marvel shit gets to come to Disney Plus. X Men Origins Wolverine. Goodbye. You're off on Hulu land. <laughs> and, you know, I feel like that's kind of unfair to Hulu. Honestly, it really is. <laughs> I hear that well, movie is really good, and that's on Hulu. I've heard it's great. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I've heard as well that it's really good. So, you know. Well, Eden, this was a journey. It was. It was a journey uh, of some sort. I really don't even know how to describe it other than that. And I am so glad and honored that you would take this journey with me because doing this alone would have been (laughs) a a true moment of darkness in my life. And so I appreciate you being there, knowing that I could look forward to talking to, uh, to you about this movie and that we would laugh. And I think I have laughed more in this episode of this podcast than I have in any other episode that we have had so far, because this movie is so ridiculous and so so bad. And it was so much fun to talk to you about it. Thank you again for your time and your sacrifice. And here's my thing. How, how do they fix this? Cause I remember first class was supposed to be, I, I know I've seen it. I remember very little about it, but it was like pretty highly regarded when it came out. How did they fix this? I don't know. We'll have to we'll find, find out. out. Cause I don't remember. I guess we'll find but, out. Well, until next time, 
when uh, we'll take a little break, you know, from the summer of X and Eden will, uh, will fill me in shortly, maybe after we hit end and maybe a little bit later what we're going to do next time. Uh, but in about four weeks, we'll be back around to some more X-Men and uh, we'll see. We'll see. How do they pull it out of this gutter? Because boy, oh boy, this is a gutter. It's a trash fire. It really is. But again, we get to talk about it and that can make even the most trash fires entertaining, which this one was at least for me and hopefully for anybody listening at that out there. We appreciate you listening. If you uh, haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Love it. If we could get some ratings, even some reviews, uh, it really does help uh, make it. So podcasts show up a little bit more easily, especially in iTunes and uh, you know, give us any feedback at feedback at the middle of And until next time, Oh, before listening. we close. Oh, yes, I, please. I said I would have a comment from uh, my dear friend, Darren, who had this to say about X3. So if you want to to get your voice on the podcast, at least tangentially, read, read by one of us, he said, I listen to your X3 podcast, and wow, are there so many problems with that movie regarding mental health and physical disability. <laughs> Rogue <laughs> feels so much like a character with a physical disability that can only be loved and have value if she gets healed. This is extremely problematic. Yes, it is. So thank you for your comment, Darren, and I agree. That's extremely yes, problematic. I agree as well. Very good comment, Darren. We appreciate it. So anybody else have thoughts, we will definitely address them and bring them up on air. And uh, thank you again to everybody for listening. And again, Eden, thank you for your sacrifice because this week it truly was a sacrifice. Truly my pleasure.